You're listening to On the Record, the podcast of the Bristol Herald Courier. Hi, I'm David McGee. On Thursday, Abingdon hosted more than 500 educators and other childhood service providers from across Virginia at the Rural Summit for Childhood Success. The event featured a series of workshops to help inform about new programs, new grants, and best practices in helping children living in rural areas to succeed at high levels, both in school and in life. First up, we'll hear from Travis Staten of the United Way of Southwest Virginia, which organized the event. And second, we spoke with keynote speaker Jeanette Walls, the best-selling author of The Glass Castle, her story about emerging from a life of poverty and that journey. Her book was made into a movie in 2017. Sure. So we've been working very closely with state officials on trying to implement some systematic change in southwest Virginia. And with the realization that we've done a lot of work around educational attainment and improvement, have really positioned our work on a cradle-to-career continuum, but if you have no emphasis on health in that continuum, it's still a challenge to produce educational outcomes that we need. So in order for us to improve and continue to build the workforce of tomorrow in this region, we've got to make sure that children not only are educated, but they're mentally stable and have healthy lives. So part of this initiative was being able to work with other state entities and organizations that will support our region in establishing a regional trauma-informed community network that we will work to bring more information around education of what trauma is to local school systems, to providers, to churches, to hospitals, but then also to get the community to work collaboratively together as a system to make sure that we're also preventing those things and helping those that have experienced ACEs and adverse childhood experiences the treatment that they need. Talk to me about the definition of trauma because a lot of people, I think, they think of trauma, they think about, you know, emergency rooms or, or car wrecks or something like that, but what you guys are talking about is is more about a social type of trauma. Yeah, so there was a a study done several years ago called the ACES study, and it basically is a survey of 10 particular questions based on adverse childhood experiences. One, uh, for example, were you food insecure or were there a separation in the family? Those particular experiences, the more that someone has uh, experienced one of those 10 measures, the more likely that they're holding trauma as well as uh, their life expectancy will be shortened by that. So part of this work is, as the First Lady said, those experiences stay with you throughout your life, is making sure that we help people identify those experiences, hopefully prevent them, Mm -hmm. but also the folks that have experienced them get the treatment and the resources that they need, but also with the realization there has to be a system of supports for them as well. Very good. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. why you're here and kind of what your message is going to be to these folks today. Well, um, I think that United Way does such fabulous work, and there was so much talk about resiliency. And many people have asked me how I survived the childhood I did. It was it was impoverished. It was I was worse than poor. I was poor. We couldn't afford the last R of poor. I was like, I you know I I I dug through the school garbage to find something to eat. I was that was that we were that destitute and there's been a lot of talk so far about resiliency and how do people make it out and um, 
how do we help those people? And I am those people, okay? I am one of them. So I'm there to tell my, I'm here to tell my story, to, to, to bring, put a face on poverty as it is, and to say, yeah, you know, we, people like me not only can get out, but we can be incredibly valuable from our experience, because because we are tough. If we've survived, then we have a lot to give back, you know, if we're given a, a, a pathway out. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm here to talk about. The First Lady made the comment that, that something that happens in childhood doesn't stay in childhood, it follows you. Yeah. It sounds like that that is the case with you. Oh, absolutely. Um, when I sat down to, to tell my story, um, I started when I was, um, the first anecdote from the book is when I was three years old. The introductions actually when I'm an adult, but then I go back to something that happened when I was three years old. And I remember so much from that incident. I was cooking hot dogs for myself and I caught on fire. And people asked me, how could you remember all that stuff? How could I possibly forget it? You know, <laughs> These things are seared into your memory. I've, I've read that um, traumatic events stay with you longer. Brain psychologists tell you that it's for evolutionary reasons. But I, in layman's terms, it haunts you. Um, and so, so, yes, these things stay with you, both the, the bad, the traumatic, but also the good. I believe that I was given many gifts. I think that along with the craziness and the wackiness, my parents had a love of education. I cannot remember not being able to read. And that gave me a huge advantage over many people who grew up yeah. under cir uh, similar circumstances. So I was also given the gift of hope, which I think is the most valuable gift that you can give a child. Uh, it doesn't always overcome the trauma. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I don't have issues from my past. So, you know, I, I, I've got a very hot temper. Um, <laughs> I'm a fighter and a scrapper, and that's one of the curses from my childhood, but it's also one of the blessings from my childhood, is that I'm, I'm kind of fearless. So um, one of the reasons that I'm here, one of the messages that I want to get across is that, yeah, yeah, we're sort of scarred and beat up and a little weird, the people who come from my part of the world, but we let's tap into this. Let's tap into the potential beauty of people who are living like that. We've heard a lot already this morning about the, the various agencies and programs right, and right, resources right, and right, right. looking to expand those. Right. How would that have changed your background if some of those things had been around when you were going through your childhood drama? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> one social worker showed up one time and we hid from him. <laughs> Well, first I kind of chased him away. I told him before I let him out of the house, I had to consult with my lawyer. I don't even know where I got that. I mean, I was, you know, we didn't have indoor plumbing. What am I, a lawyer? I mean, <laughs> but I was afraid they'd break up the family. I was afraid they'd take me away from my, my parents, who despite all their craziness, I loved. But more importantly, they would take me away from my siblings. So I, I, I we, we hid from him. Um, I believe that social services have come a long way since then. And there was even some discussion about efforts to keep the family together and to work with the people. I think that, you know, some people say, well, how do we cure poverty? How do we cure homelessness? How do we cure opiate addiction? It's, it, there's no one solution fits all. And I'm hearing such amazing talk about going into these families and, and meeting people where they are and, and understanding the humanity. And I think my life would have been entirely different if, if something like that had happened. That being said, I was singled out by some teachers who recognized in me a passion for education. And I think education is the great equalizer. And I think the good teachers are, are um, 
they're saints walking this planet, basically, um, out there finding those kids who, who have some potential that isn't maybe being met. Um, so I think we've come a long way since then, and I'm a big fan of the, uh, the governor and his wife, and I think they're doing some really wonderful, important work in that, on that front. How many siblings did you have? I had three. I was, okay. the, I was the second of four. And are they... Did, my did, older did sister. Did they grow up like? <laughs> no, we're all very different. My older sister is an artist, an illustrator. I would say an artist, but you know, people say, "No, she's an illustrator." Same thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my brother um, became a cop, despite that wacky background, and that's one of the reasons that I know that there's such potential in people like myself. He was a phenomenal cop. He could. He was working. We moved to New York, and he was working in Harlem, and he could spot a crime in progress from a mile away. And they say it's a form of post-traumatic stress when you can sense danger. But beyond that, he was just fearless about going in people's homes and passing no judgment and helping kids with their homework. So he was he's he's an amazing guy. He's retired from the police force and works for Habitat for Humanity. And my kid sister didn't do so well. She um, she's mentally ill. And I've wondered so many times the degree to which it was environmental or just physical, probably a combination of the two, but we didn't all make it. She's, she's okay, um, and she lives in a safe, clean place. So tell me about the, the process of, of writing that book. It was excruciating. <laughs> uh, you know, I... Um, I it's basically my husband hog-tied me to the desk and says, you're going to tell this story. He confessed to me that when I first told him, hinted at some details that he thought I was exaggerating. And then he met my mom and he said, oh, okay, <laughs> this is a complicated story, but you must tell it. I wrote the first version in six weeks. And then I spent five years rewriting it and trying to be honest. Because even though I never lie, I'm, I'm, I'm pathologically honest. Sitting down to tell your story, you're confronted with the facts and the things that I kind of glossed over. My husband read an early version, and he said, if your parents weren't buying food for you, how did you eat? And I said, well, I'm kind of resourceful. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, you know, I, I may do. He said, no, I don't know. You have to spell it out. And there's no way I'm telling it. I never told anybody that. Um, and I must have written that 20 times because the first couple of versions were just so removed. And, and my bad my bad writing relapse is a very stilted journalistic. I'd heretofore not considered the plethora of influences, you know. And I had to sort of just get inside and describe what really happened. And I was sobbing when I wrote that. And it's a funny thing. It doesn't bother me now that, that I, I, I ate garbage. It's just something I went through. A very wise friend of mine says... Secrets are a little bit like vampires. Um, they suck the life out of you, but they can exist only in the darkness. Once they're exposed to light, there's a moment of horror, but then they lose their power over you. And I found that to be true, and that's why I'm such a fan of storytelling. Very good. Anything I should have asked you? Oh. <laughs> um, no, no. Okay. Just really thrilled to be here. and I, You know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. I'm just really honored to be here, to be part of of this. So many people have asked me for, for have, have thanked me for being here, and I don't deserve that. They're the people who do all the hard work. I just parachute in and tell my story. Uh, but if my story in any way helps illuminate the work that they do or makes their job any easier, then then it's so worth the time. Do you do other events like this? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. 
I, I speak to colleges. The, my book has become required reading in some schools. And um, really nothing makes me happier than kids read it. You know, because um, there's so many people who go through these things. And if my book gives people permission to discuss these issues that they might not want to discuss in relation to themselves, then that's that's wonderful. Then they can have heated debates about poverty and how much the state should be involved and what the parents' role should be and what the children's role should be in helping the parents. You know, these are all things that there are no simple answers. And I, I certainly, if there are answers, I don't have them. But if I can provide the questions, yeah. then that's wonderful. Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. On the Record is made possible by David McKee, David Krieger, Delina Matthews, and Brown Woodson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.